The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. I'm glad you're here. Worship. If you have your Bibles with you, if you would join me in turning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we've been for a few weeks, where we continue to be this week. This week, looking at verses 11 through 13 together. We've been focusing on unity. That's where Paul has been in the book of Ephesians, talking about our unity together in the spirit and how that functions, how that plays out, how that works out. And so we continue that uh, this morning, really getting to a pointed section in a specific section. And so we'll have some time to look at it together. So join me. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, and then dive in. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I'll probably read this verse again when we get to it, but I want you to look at the goal in verse 13 of this section again, because this really is, is the goal of the unity section. And then also in verse 11 and 12 of what we'll talk about these different gifts, but look at the goal for us in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a, a big goal. That's a, that is a big, big task. But it says God has not left us alone to do this. He's given us each other. He's given us different gifts to be able to work towards this goal together. And so I want that to be in your mind as we're going through this section. And so first we're going to look at verse 11. And in verse 11, there are five gifts, maybe four, depending on your interpretation, five gifts that are mentioned here in this passage specifically. Now, if you look at the, the New Testament altogether, you'll see that the writers of the New Testament actually mention about 20, 19 or 20 gifts that are given uh, by the Spirit. You can see these in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, also in 1 Peter 4. There are other lists. It doesn't list everything. All the lists aren't the same. Uh, one of the lists actually is only two things. Uh, but that's where you can go to reference the other gifts that are mentioned. But here in our passage that we're going to deal with specifically is five, maybe four, again, depending on your interpretation and how you look at these, at these different gifts. And so I want us to look at each of them individually and talk about them briefly before we move on to verse 12. <clears throat> First, Paul mentions apostles there. He says, and he gave, speaking of God, gave the apostles. These are men who had seen the risen Christ. These are men who were appointed by Christ to proclaim the gospel message to the world. They had a very specific task. You'll remember, uh, oftentimes, Paul, we looked at this in Galatians, we looked at this in other places, but where Paul is having to, to defend himself as an apostle. People are kind of questioning if he actually is an apostle. And he finds himself having to defend himself, saying, I am an apostle. I was commissioned by Jesus to go and to share the gospel, and very specifically there, to the Gentiles, to go and to do this work, to start churches and to do this work specifically. 
And so we see Paul defending himself as an apostle, and he often lists his credentials to be an apostle. And so this task of being an apostle is a very, was a very specific task, and it is one of the tasks that is complete. Now, some people you will see, you will, you will hear at different churches, or you will hear different titles, and people will say, I'm an apostle. I don't believe that's what scripture teaches. I believe that this is a task that is over, that is finished. For those who try to claim this, they take that word apostle at its very, very general sense. That would mean one who is sent or maybe one who is sent to help specific churches. And that is not the way that Paul is using this word here. Paul is using this word here, apostle, in a very technical term, the same way he would use it when he's talking about himself as an apostle and defending his apostleship saying, I've seen the risen Christ. I saw him on the road to Damascus. He saved me by his grace. He has given me his word and he has given me a specific task to go to these churches. I am an apostle. And so this is an office that no longer is needed. We don't see that anymore. It's something that I'm always very leery about when you start talking to people. Oh, I'm a a Christian. Okay, this is great. You talk to them. I believe I'm an apostle. Oh, okay, we just took a turn. We just took a turn here. And I don't say that to minimize them or anything. I'm saying this is where I I think you're going contrary to what scripture teaches because there was a very specific way to be an apostle. There was very few of them and they did their task well of getting the gospel out to the world. And so this is the first office that we benefit from greatly even today in the church. The work that the apostles have done still resonates with us. We would not be here today if it wasn't for them doing their work and doing it well and the spirit working through them. Well, Paul goes on after talking about the apostles and he talks about the prophets. There is a clue, I think, to what Paul means here when he talks about prophets. And I think it can be seen in the way he's already talked about the prophets in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 and 20, which we've already looked at, Paul said, so then, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, Paul would talk about the prophets again in Ephesians chapter three, verses four and five. He said, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It seems as if when Paul uses the word prophet, what he is speaking of here is he is usually joining apostles and prophets together. A different position, but still a position that is given together, that was given for the the church as it was being birthed. And it seems as if he's talking about men here who were given this task of speaking the gospel, speaking the word of God to the church. And I think this role was very important because it was at a time when they did not have the New Testament. The the early church did not have the New Testament to go and to read. Now, Paul started writing letters and Peter would write letters and churches would start to pass this around, but they did not have the full New Testament like we have it. It hadn't all been penned yet. And so it seems as if what Paul is talking about here is that God had placed these different roles, apostles and also prophets, for this specific task of being able to teach the people what God had done through Christ. And to help to go establish churches to do this. 
Now, again, in this sense of what I believe Paul is talking about here, the, the role of prophet is over. We don't need more prophets. We don't need more revelation from God, some, some new revelation from God, because God has been very specific to tell us in his word that he has revealed himself fully through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word, and that he has given us the word. And so again, you will hear this, no doubt. You will hear this quite often. People will say, I am a prophet, or I am a prophetess, what they are really saying is they get divine revelation from God that others have not received. And we have to be careful about that because there is a, another religion that we separated from a long time ago, over 500 years ago, who said they had a man who could speak. You guys just went dark. See that? There it went, came back. <clears throat> but you remember the Pope, the infallible Pope who could talk and who could share, and it was equal to the word of God because it had been revealed to him. Now, we as Protestants had a problem with that, so much so that many of our Protestant brothers and sisters have died for it. They have died for it to say, this is not true to scripture. But yet, oftentimes, running rampant within Protestantism today are people who call themselves prophets, who have divine revelations, who speak as if they are infallible to the things that they are saying, because they are prophets, and who are you to judge me of what God has told me? Well, the problem with that is I am someone who can judge you because according to the word of God, we have all the words he needs to give us. And he doesn't need a special word from you. That's what we have. And so this role of apostle, this role of prophet, I believe what the Bible is telling us here is this is a role that we do not see anymore. They serve their time, they serve their purpose, they did it well, and we are thankful that God has given us apostles and prophets from old. Well, then we move on. There's another one, evangelists. Now, this is a difficult one to define. It really is. Evangelist is a very difficult one to define. It is used three times in the New Testament. Right here, what we're talking about. And then also Acts chapter 21, verse 8. It says, on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. So we have it there. Philip is called an evangelist. He's also one of the seven, right, who was chosen to go out. Second Timothy 4, 5 also mentions it. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is Paul talking to Timothy specifically as a pastor, Timothy being a pastor, saying, do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. Go and do this. Other than these three references, we don't have any other references in scripture to be able to define exactly what this means. Now, in the past, some have used this term for ecclesiastical power. They were saying like evangelist was a specific role within the polity of the church, a high up position. I don't think that's what's being said here. And I don't think it should be used that way. Some have used this term evangelist to say that they have a calling to go from church to church or from town to town proclaiming the gospel. And they are now doing the work of an evangelist. And they so go and, and do all these specific things. I think one of the things we need to be reminded before we really try to define this specifically is every single one of us in here who would say that we have been saved by the grace of God, you would say that, you know, you know, you have no doubt you are a child of God saved by his grace. Know this, it is your job to be evangelical. 
Now that's a word that's thrown around in our culture today and maybe even has a negative connotation uh, to some, but we are called to be people who share the gospel. Uh, I don't have the right and you don't have the right as a Christian to say, I just wasn't given that gift of evangelism. I just, I can't do that. No, we, we have all been called to share what God has done in our life with other people. And so we, we cannot get out of that. So please know that as we define this, this word and this, this office, this position here, please know that we are all called to be evangelical people who share our faith, who talk about what God has done through his son and the offer that is there for people that by faith you can be saved in Christ. We need to do that. But it seems that some people are given a special gift in this, where it seems like God uses them very powerfully as they share the good news of the gospel, that people are drawn to it as they share, and God, and God uses them in a great way, and we see fruit from it. We see people coming to know him as these people share. Now, what is interesting to know, and I've already said this, is when we have these referenced in scripture, first of all, it's referenced with Timothy, who was a pastor connected to a local church. It's also referenced with Philip, who was called, right, who was called by the early church for a specific task and was a part of the church and said, he also is an evangelist. And so it seems like every time this word evangelist is used, it's used specifically in talking about a local body. And so I would say when Paul is saying evangelist, first of all, what he is talking about is he's talking about people within the body of Christ who God is using greatly in sharing the gospel with people, drawing them in to that body to be a part of the body where then they can go to be trained, as we're going to read here in a moment, by pastors and teachers. I say specifically designed to be within the local body because I think that's something that's often missing today from those today who go around calling themselves evangelists. They're not connected to a local body. They're supported by every church they go to. They get a special offering and you start to talk to them, well, where is your home church? Well, I, I travel so much, I don't really... I don't really have a home church. I'm just going about doing the work that God has called me to do, being an evangelist. I would have to push back at that. I would say, I don't, I don't see that office anywhere in scripture. I think that is a misuse of what is happening here with evangelism or with the evangelists. We are called to be part of the body of Christ. And everywhere in scripture, you just can't get away from it. It is speaking about a local body where you have a pastor, you have elders, you have deacons, and you have a body of Christ united together in Christ, serving one another and ministering to one another. And so the thought that this evangelist is somebody who goes out kind of rogue and just likes to touch every single church and help them out, I think that's very foreign to scripture. And I think it can lead to a very dangerous place because then those so-called evangelists have no authority over them at all. No accountability at all, saying, what are you teaching? What are you preaching? What are you singing? What are, what are you doing? There, there's no accountability being done there, and it can lead to some very dangerous things. And so when we see this word evangelist here, I think we need to be very specific, at least in saying, yes, they might have a gift of sharing the gospel, but in scripture, it is always connected to the local church. And I would say this, 
We need to be praying as a body of Christ, as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, that God would raise up amongst us more evangelists. People who share the gospel with all their heart often and God uses them to see people come to know the Lord. That, that is what we desperately need within this church. Because if God would raise up people like that, these seats would start being filled more and more and more. Be seeing them come to know the Lord. And again, if it's connected to the local body, then it's also this. Okay, you're saying you've trusted in Christ. You need to be a part of the church. Come to church with me. You need to be involved because you cannot be a rogue Christian out there. And you wouldn't be doing your due diligence as an evangelist if you were just like, well, good luck. Go find some good place to go. I mean, you talk about throwing someone to the wolves, right? And so we need to be praying that God would raise up with the Monroe Missionary Baptist Church evangelists who would be sharing the gospel within their family, who would be sharing the gospel within their work, would be sharing the gospel as God gives them opportunity and that God would use them mightily and save souls by his grace and bring them into the fold for the church. Okay, we move on. This is where some would say that these two next uh, positions are combined into one. I'm gonna keep them separate and I'll explain that as we get to it. But first, the ESV says shepherds. Others' versions might say pastors. These are men that God has called to care for and to teach the word of God to a local congregation. It, beca- it probably became uh, quickly realized within the early church that, hmm, James can't preach to everybody all the time. This thing is spreading out, right? Well, what is going on here? And so there was, there was gifts that God was, has given, and we see this here, and one of those roles is the pastor, somebody who, who oversees a local congregation with Jesus as the head and loves on them and loves on them this way by teaching them the word of God regularly. That's what he does. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, speaking of pastors, this is what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I do not read this passage to you today to try to tell you you need to obey me. You need to submit to me, even though scripture very clearly talks about the role of pastor and all of that. I say that to let you know that every time I get up here, every single week, or when you email me with a Bible question, or you text me with a Bible question, or you catch me in the hallway and you say, hey, I just have a real quick question. Every time that happens, this is what is on my head. I am somebody who is going to give an account for you. That's, that's on me. Now, that's a, that's a scary thing. And any pastor who takes that lightly is not worth his salt should not be teaching, should not be preaching. Because the fact is, every word that comes out of my mouth, again, being done in unity about what God is saying is, I am telling you this, and you in response are submitting and obeying to the word of God that I am teaching you. As you say amen, you are saying, this is truth. This is what we do. This is who we are. These are the things that you are saying, and I am accountable for you. That's why I don't look at Facebook. I don't want to know what you're doing. Uh, I don't want to see those things because I'm accountable for you. I'm accountable for you. And it's scary at times. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have a hard enough time being accountable to myself. I don't even know what I have on my schedule tomorrow. 
Right? I mean, that, that's, that's a big enough task for me. But the position that God has put me in within this congregation is the role of a pastor. And therefore, Hebrews 13, 17 rings very true and loud. It is my job to keep watch over your soul as one who will have an account for the things that I am teaching you, for the things that I'm trying to train you in, and the direction that we're trying to have the church go in. It's a very, very serious matter, and it is a heavy, heavy burden, but it's one that pastors are called to, and I'm pleased to be able to do that. It is a very humbling thing to be called by a church. I'm glad the Sunday that you guys voted on me, I was in a different country, or maybe I wasn't. We might not have been there yet, but I was so thrilled to not be here. Talk about an awkward situation being voted on by people for you to be the pastor. It's just, it's just weird. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just awkward. But I remember hearing, well, they voted you in. There was mixed feelings there. Like, okay, that's, that's good. But then it's like this wave of, no, they, I wish they wouldn't have. Because of this truth. The pastor, it's not something I take very lightly. It's a serious calling. And it's a calling that I'm thankful that God has called me to. But again, it is one where it is my job to teach the word and to realize that I'm going to be accountable to everything I teach. So that's why I try to study hard and pray hard through these things. Well, the other office there is teacher. Now, again, the reason why some people would combine this is because you cannot be a pastor without being a teacher. It's impossible to do that. You have to be willing to teach and preach as a, as a pastor. It tells us that in Timothy, of which we'll be going through next year together. But the reason I have it separated is this. There are those who can teach, but they're not pastors. That, that's the difference here, and that's why I see this as a difference. One of the gifts, thankfully, that God gives into the church are other teachers, where it's not just the pastor getting up and teaching. Now, he might be the one who kind of leads the teaching and helps teach teachers and decide what needs to be taught in different classes to make sure that the church is staying true to God's word because, again, he's the one held accountable to those things. And so just a little side note, you teachers in here, when you come to us and say, I would really like to teach this book instead of this one. No, we've put a lot of thought into the thing we've asked you to teach already because we're going to be held accountable. And so now we got to get into that book and realize who is this author? What is their background? What kind of things do they teach? Do we think it's worthy to be in our church? So know that that actually gets done. But there are those that God has called to teach who have the gift of teaching. And God has gifted these people to help us to know his word better. I think about the different men and women who teach in Bible colleges and these different places who are helping to train up uh, teachers and pastors and the laity who want to know more about God's word. And they might not be pastors, but they are teachers and they're very faithful to the word of God and they study hard and they love the Lord and they love the church. And so they do their best to teach it well. This again is a position that we should pray God would fill the church with because we need more teachers and as people teach and preach correctly, as pastors do their job and as teachers do their job, it always, always, always is going to be centered on Christ and his word. Just like it was with the apostles, just like it was with the prophets, just like it is for evangelists as they do their task well, so it is for pastors and teachers. It is centered on Christ 
in his word. And this is the single most important thing that the church needs is proper teaching in the word of God. Without it, ministry simply cannot happen. Ministry cannot happen according to God's word. It can't happen. There could be social causes that are happening. There could be people getting fed. There could be homeless people sleeping. There could be all these types of things happening, but that is not ministry if it's not being done according to God's word and in step with the word of God. And this is why, because of verse 12. These tasks, these roles, these men were put into these positions. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It is the job, my job, teachers, evangelists, to equip the church for ministry. And you cannot do this on your own. As much as you maybe don't want to think this, you need me. As much as I don't want to think of it, I need you. I need you. And you need me. You need me to preach to you and to teach to you. You need Sunday school teachers to teach you the word of God week in and week out. Why? So that you can go about doing the ministry. And listen, that takes humility, which Paul's already talked about in chapter four. If you're going to be unified, you need to be humble. And so it takes humility to sit under a pastor. It takes humility to sit under a teacher. I know this, but this is how Jesus has set it up. You humble yourself and you do it. Even when you're sitting there the whole time thinking, I could do so much better than this guy. This Sunday school teacher, they're just reading. They're just reading the material. They're they're not doing any good. I know I could do better. Listen, you need to be there because this is the order that God has put for the church. And why? So that you can then go and do ministry. This is something you cannot expect the pastor to do all for you. You can't, right? Paul encourages us, so think about it. You can't expect me just to be the main one who teaches you or even the teachers. There's also a role for you as an individual Christian to learn and to grow and to study God's word. Uh, We see this. Paul talks about this with himself uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You want to you go to one of the craziest places to go where there's things being said that just make no sense. Go to, go to a high school sporting event and sit by the parents. Just do it. I dare you. And, and just listen. Don't even watch the game. Just, just, just listen. Just listen to what they're saying. Because as a coach, I've coached plenty of times. You could tell a kid 400 times, I want you to do this. They go out on that field, guess what they don't do? They don't do what you told them to do. And then what do the parents say? Do you teach them anything? You are You are worthless. Well, why do we have this coach? You need to get rid of this coach. Look at this team. They're getting crushed. We would win if I was the coach. I mean, that's, that's what it seems like the parents are saying. But really, what the coach would have the right to do is turn around and say, you know why we're losing? It's because of you as a parent. I only have your kid for an hour. I only have your kid for an hour and a half. 
And I tell them to get in shape. I tell them to practice. I tell them to think through the plays. I tell them to do all this. I do everything I can for an hour and a half and I do my best to train them well. I tell them they should be lifting weights. They should be running. I tell them all this stuff, but it's obvious they are not doing this at home. I can only do so much as a coach. I can't make them taller. Dad, you're 5'2", mom, you're 4'10". They're not gonna play basketball. That's all there's to it. They're not gonna be that good. They're not big enough, right? I mean, you can go on and on and on. That's my, that's my little bent of coaching, okay? It's the same way here. I only get to preach to you for 35 minutes and 40 minutes, and I lose half of you after 10, okay? I, I, can, I can preach my guts out. I can study, I can plan, I can have it perfect. I can, I can nail at every point, nailed, everything's succinct, everything recognizable, and everything should just be remembered. But the fact is, I'm only talking to you for 30 some minutes. And then we have a service at night, and if you come back at night, it's another 30 minutes. That's an hour. That's one hour of teaching you the word of God, the most important thing you can know. I only get an hour to teach you. You can't expect it to all fall on me to teach you. You have to be willing to do it on your own, to be in God's word, to be in Sunday school, right? To be used the resources that your church is saying, these are good resources. Study these things, read these things, know these things. Why? Because again, as the pastor, I cannot do it all for you. And so we must take the things that we are taught as a church and we live them out. We must take the resources that we are given and use them and practice with them and utilize them. Because when we do this, when we become equipped, like we are told to be, this is when church ministry happens and it happens well. The ministry of the church is your job. To be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the title when people say, you're a minister. I'm a pastor. We all minister. You minister, I minister. We all minister. We all have to be together to minister, to do the ministry, to do the work of the church. It, it has to be done because a single pastor or three pastors or four or five just cannot get the job done within a church this size for sure, or even within a church of 50. It takes the whole church. Why? This is how God organized it and planned it. Now in, now in the King James Version, you'll notice in verse 12, if you have the King James Version, it says to equip the saints and it, there's, there's a comma. There's commas there. And it makes it kind of sound like the, the role of the pastor is one, to equip the saints, two, to do the work of the ministry, and then three, to build everybody to be healthy. Now, almost every commentary that I read said this in the King James Version was either a clerical error because it doesn't exist anywhere in the, in the Greek or it was something for the times. Because you gotta remember when the King James Version was written. And it was, at, it was at a point where the church actually was telling the body of Christ, just let us do it, we're professionals. And so it actually kind of fit if they put a comma there to tell the laity, you just sit and listen and give us money, okay? Let us do the work. Now sadly, it's kind of gotten back there. It's kind of gotten back to that point to where, hey, we're the professionals up here. You guys listen and just be blessed by us. You're welcome, now go. But that's not how God has designed this. You are the church. You are the people who do the ministry. I'm a part of that church. I get to do ministry as well. 
but it just can't simply be sustained if it's only one person or two people trying to do the job. It takes the whole body to minister to the whole body. I know that you might feel like this analogy is played out, but it's talked about in scripture so much how we are the body. Every single part functions together and without it, without that part functioning, it's, it's messy. We have people right now in our church who are having surgeries. Almost Patty McGee had one this week. Larry's having shoulder. Bubba, you're having shoulder surgery. There's other people having surgeries. When you have surgery, it stinks. It hurts. It's painful. And that was only one part of your body. But without that one part of your body, it messes everything up. The church messed things up when we started to think, I pay the pastor to go do that. That's a mess up. That's a mess up. You do that. You serve. You go visit. You go pray with people. You go help and feed people. You go care for people. Go be the church, ministering to the church. I will do my best to equip you. I will do my best to train you of what to say, what to do when you go into these situations that could be difficult. Let me do that while you go do the work of the ministry, how God has intended. Because it moves on in 12b. Why do we do this? Why do we equip the saints and why do the saints do the work of the ministry? For building up of the body of Christ. And this can only be done through the word. It's the only way it can be done. There's no other way to build up our body unless it is a steady diet of God's word over and over and over again. It's through the church's teaching of the word. Again, through the pastors, the teachers, and the evangelists doing the work that they're supposed to do, giving the steady diet to the body of, the Christ, up to the body of Christ so that they can be built up. And that's what gets us to verse 13. That glorious verse, that, that glorious goal. God has given us apostles. He's given us prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the ministry of the work. And as the saints do the ministry of the work and the building up of the body of Christ is happening, then what happens? We start to get towards that goal to where we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice what our unity is centered on. Our unity is centered on faith and on knowledge. Well, faith in what? Well, faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. When we gather in this room together, we are coming, why? Because of the finished work of Christ. That's what brings us together. That's why we are together and so as we learn more about God, as we study his word, as we know his word, it's all centered on Christ. And so our faith in Christ is constantly being built up together and we're united on that, on that fact. But he doesn't just say faith. He also says knowledge of Christ, knowledge of his word, believing in all of it, believing in everything. You see, this is the fundamental flaw within our society today is there's no absolute truth. Well, there's a problem with that. There's no absolute morals. There's no standard. There's, there's no standard then to stand on. You know, if, if you tell me, well, Tim, how long should this thing be? And I say three feet, but a foot to me is three inches. A foot to you is 12 inches. We have a problem because we don't have a standard. 
And so when we do construction, we have, we have a standard. Inches, feet, we know what we're talking about when we say that. And so that we can be on the exact same page. Well, the problem is when you start to say there is no truth, there is no God, there becomes no standard. And so everybody can just kind of say what they want and who can prove them wrong? Right? Who, who's going to prove them wrong? You can't tell me I'm wrong. There's no standard. This is my standard. This is a standard I hold myself to. It might change tomorrow. It might not. But this is my standard. Right? That, that is one of the problems that we have. Well, within the church, this should never be a problem because we do have a standard. It's Jesus. Our faith is in him and our knowledge is strictly surrounded in him and in him only. We are people of the word. We study the word, we believe the word, we know the word, and we trust the word. And that's where we find our unity. And what Paul says here is as we grow, as we grow together in unity by faith and knowledge of God, what does it do? It helps us to be mature. Maybe you remember as a kid or teenager telling to somebody at some time, you're so immature. Remember doing that? I still hear it with our youth. They're so, they're so mature. They, they, need to, they need to grow up. I mean, we kind of laugh at it now, and I know it's kind of whatever, but it really is the case in most churches. If you want a, if you want a diagnosis from a, from a pastor, most churches are very immature. The things they attain to, the things that they desire are all earthly things. That's their goal. That's their, that's their motto. You know, you, it's, a, it's a big thing in church life. You need to have a mission statement and you need to have a vision statement. And if you go read church's mission statements and vision statements, most of the time they're very man-centered. <clears throat> they're very centered on things of this earth, not things of God's word. Immature. Very immature. We need more mature churches. And the only way to do that is to sit under the teaching of God's word continually. There is no maturity because there's no unity. Their unity is not centered on the work of Christ and his word. Their unity is centered on some social activity. Their unity is centered on the fact that if they go to that church, it gives them more opportunities in the community, whatever it might be. It's not centered on Jesus. It's centered on other things. Let that not be so here. If we are faithful, if we are faithful as a church to fill the roles that God has given us in this church to teach and to minister and to love, we should then see God making us more mature in Christ regularly. Now, I can't answer that for you as an individual. That's something you, between you and God. Now, if you asked me, Pastor Tim, how mature do you think I am? I guess I would try to give an answer. I would probably go on the high side just to let you know because I don't want to have that conversation right after church, okay? But really, you know that. You know, you, you know where your faith is in the Lord. You know where your trust is when it comes to the word of God. This is why we see a lot of teenagers disappear when they leave. Because in the youth group, it's hard to build them to maturity that fast. And then they go off and what happens? Their immaturity shows. They simply slip away very quickly. They get deceived. 
so fast. We shouldn't be surprised by that. They're just really immature in the faith. And we got to do a better job of loving them through that. But you as adult know as well where your maturity lies. Are you really united with this church body? Are you sitting under the teaching and preaching like you should and listening to it and trusting in it, trusting that God will use it to help you to grow? Are you ministering to each other? I love hearing stories of our church family ministering. Even this week, you know, someone called me, oh yeah, I went and visited them in the hospital, you know, and this is what's happening. It's like, that is great. That is exactly what needs to be happening. You guys doing that work, that is awesome. That's what unites us and helps bring us together. Do you find yourself doing that? See, here in a moment, we're gonna sing a song like we do each week. And we, we don't sing a song by accident. We sing a song on purpose. One is so that we can end singing to our God. But also, it gives you opportunity to respond to the word of God. To say, God, what are you, what are you teaching me through this? What is, what is something that I need to know or how I need to, to grow? Or is there a sin in my life that you're revealing right now that maybe I need to deal with? Well, this morning, I, I hope that you respond to God's word by asking that question How mature am I in this faith and knowledge that is being talked about here? How united am I really to my church family? Or is this just a place I come, I sit, and I go, and I don't talk to any of them ever again until next Sunday? That's something that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be worked on, because every single one of you in here is needed by everybody else in here. We need you because we're a body together. And when the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When there's joy, there's joy amongst us all. So you shouldn't think, "Ah, I'm not that important. Yes, oh yes, you are. I hope that you'll respond to the word of God how you see fit as we get ready to sing this song. Let's bow together and let's pray this morning. God, I'm glad that you have an order to the church, that it's not something that we have to guess about. Yes, I know different denominations do polity different. Maybe how they're structured fully is different. But God, your word is very clear of what you have given the church and the task for the church here in the book of Ephesians. That you've given all of us together to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry isn't for just some paid staff person, but it's for all of us. So God, first and foremost, I pray here specifically at our church for our pastors that they would do well in teaching and preaching your word, that you would guide them, that on their hearts and my heart would be that burden of knowing that we will be held accountable for the things that are taught, the things that are preached. God, I pray for our Sunday school teachers and those who teach Bible studies and those who teach our children, God, that they would take their role very seriously in the life of this church, that it's a privilege to be able to share the word of God, even with a a four-year-old, a a five-year-old, a first grader, second grader, even those times when we don't think it's sinking in, God, you are using that in their life because that's a role that you have given to the church. And so God, I pray that those who teach your word would take it extremely seriously, bathe it in prayer each and every time and would teach out of love, not anger, not just to be right or to be proven right, but they would teach out of love in their heart for this congregation that you've put together, that you've assembled together. 
But then God, I do also pray for each individual member, those here this morning, those who can't be here, that they would take their part very seriously and well as ministering to each other. God, so often I know that I hear from different members, you know, so-and-so passed away or so this is gone. I had no idea. Why? Because I, I'm one person. But God, I'm thankful that they knew. I'm thankful that they've had the opportunity to minister. And I, I pray that our church would feel very well ministered to when fellow members minister to them. They don't feel slighted if it wasn't a, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon, but that they would say, see, my church loved me well. They were there for me. Because God, that's the only way that we can do it together and ministering to each other, holding each other accountable, loving each other, caring for each other. So God, thank you for not saving us and just putting us out into the wild world and saying, good luck. But instead, you've established some order. You, you've established a way for us to grow into maturity in the unity of faith and knowledge. And so God, I thank you for that. Help us each to grow. Help me to grow more and more in your word and faith, knowledge, and maturity. And God, for all of us together. And God, again, I, I wanna pray that you would raise up evangelists within the life of the church, that we would be faithful to share the gospel with people. And God, we pray that you would use that for the building up of your kingdom. And God, as people come to this church as new believers or new Christians or, or right on the verge, God, that we would do well in, in ministering to them and teaching them and training them as a family should. God, I, I pray for parents in here who are trying to raise up kids according to your word. Help them to not be discouraged, but help them to stay faithful in that, even when it doesn't seem like their kids are listening, to, to remain faithful in, in sharing your word with them and, and praying with them, because God, I, I know that you use that in the lives of children. God, we want to be centered on your word, so help us to do that. Help us to be centered on Christ always. Let that be our goal, let that be our aim, to honor and worship you through Christ and the power of the Spirit each and every day. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together and have a time to respond to the word of God. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.